Support for this episode comes from SAS. How is AI affecting how you learn, work, and socialize? And what do you need to know to make responsible use of it as a business leader, worker, and human in the world? Find out when you listen to Pondering AI, a podcast featuring candid conversations with experts from across the AI ecosystem. Pondering AI explores the impact and implications of AI for better and for worse with a diverse group of innovators, advocates, and data scientists. Check out Pondering AI wherever you get your podcasts. It's on! Hi, everyone, from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is the Tesla New York unionizing effort with 100% less union busting. Just kidding. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Naeem Araza. And Elon is not going to like their unionizing efforts in New York State, is he? No. He doesn't like when the minions rise. He doesn't. He wanted them all to show up for work in the early pandemic. The lords and ladies don't like when the peasants get He's a trouble. peasant. Yeah. You're a lord because you have a legacy blue check and he is coming for it. He's kicking it away from you. Go ahead. Are you sad? No, not even slightly. Honestly. I'm very excited for him to purge the legacy blue check so then Whatever. I can pretend so that I corrupt. had one and it got purged as opposed to I was so irrelevant I never had one. <laughs> yeah. just It's just ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous... Like, literally, when he... Let, let me know when he stops punching down. I'd really like to know when that happens and then we can move along. So, anyway. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm visiting my mother in D.C. Mm-hmm. I've been really sad reading about the news in Syria and Turkey. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, terrible earthquake, 35,000 people dead. I'm sure that's just, we're going to learn even more as we're in week two of the rescue effort. But it's reminding me in some way, because they're going after the building companies now. Are you seeing yeah. this? Where they're, yeah, yeah Erdogan they is like wanting heads to, people are mad mm-hmm. and they want to blame someone and uh, rightly. And you have these construction companies who either skimped on the building codes yeah. or they were given these construction amnesties, which allowed them to skimp. And so government has a point going after them. People have a point going after them. But they're also scapegoats because it's government's failing too. Yeah. It, to me, it's just like rampant greed mm-hmm. and government oversight and preventable deaths. And this is mm-hmm. a flashback to, for me, the Champlain Towers in Miami yeah. and Surfside. Yeah, that was a tragedy. That was a, You had a friend who was killed there. Yeah, 98 people died, including my college yeah. roommate, a good friend mm-hmm. of mine, Teresa Velasquez. And she was the last one in, in the rubble. Um and they spoke to her, the rescuers. And so when that video came out of that Orhan Pamuk wrote about the, the young girl who was trapped in the rubble in Turkey, I mean, it's just, I'm really it's sorry. like the same thing, I think. It is. And it's just, you know, people don't think it's going to happen. And they have risk assessments that are really, uh, don't think about the people living there at all. And they want to make another dirty buck, essentially. It's uh, shoddy construction. It's yeah. like inspectors not seeing mm-hmm. what's happening. And you called me conservative the other day, but I actually believe in big government, which is like <laughs> the truth of liberal. Well, good government. You don't want big government. You want better government. That's all in that case. That's true. More government, I should say. Yeah. Not everybody does. Yeah. Well, speaking of government and needing more government, uh, our guest today is Colorado Congressman Kent Buck. He's a Republican who has been pushing strongly for antitrust. He's probably Mm -hmm. the strongest big tech critic on the Republican side, barring Josh Hawley. Yeah, well, it's different. It's different. He's really learned. He's He was on that uh, that committee last year with David Cicilline, become yeah. very close to David Cicilline, which is an unlikely duo, a, you know, a gay Democrat from Rhode Island and a, and a sort of cowboy uh, Republican, very conservative congressman. And from Colorado, yeah. But they still have in common uh, this uh, big tech uh, criticism. And he's mm-hmm. been... Um, hopeful that there would be some bills passed and it's been, it's, he's made it one of his big issues. And his own party recently snubbed him because in McCarthy's house, if you can call it that, mm-hmm. um, he obviously appointed Jim Jordan as head of the Judiciary Committee and Jordan and McCarthy have installed a more libertarian, Thomas Massey of Kentucky, to chair the antitrust committee over Ken Buck. So mm-hmm. it's a good time to catch up with Ken. The last it time is. we spoke to him was on our podcast in the Times. Yeah, it was interesting. He was, you know, we had some back and forth about whether he was vaccinated or not. That was a different era. But, <laughs> you know, he definitely was very clear about how he felt. And now, you know, he's written this book and he he did get snubbed from this committee. And I think he's committed. He's created an antitrust group with Cicilline. And I think uh, it'll be interesting to see if they ever can pass any antitrust legislation. I just talked to John Cantor, who obviously has to deal with the laws he's got, but he certainly would support some sort of new antitrust legislation, which has not happened, although many efforts have been made. 
The new book is called Crush, Big Tech's War on Free Speech with a foreword by Senator Ted Cruz. Mm, What a pairing. Yeah. Ken Buck has come out uh, in defense of Elon on a lot of this free speech stuff. So I imagine Mm -hmm. you're going to apply him with questions about that, Kara. I shall. I shall. He's, you know, he's like a lot of Republicans. They sort of want to traffic in some things and other things and sort of make a tech monolithic. Well, they want to make tech monolithic boogeyman. It's very complex and it requires complexity of thought. Um, Mm. And this is just easy to say, you know, big tech's trying to spy on you. But it doesn't really get you to what you need, which is uh, decent and reasonable legislation that preserves innovation and also preserves the, you know, the really good things about these companies. So. The one thing that Ron Klain said, I think, when he was on our show last time, and I think he'll be coming back soon, Mm -hmm. the uh, recently departed chief of staff Mm -hmm. for President Biden, he said something about public opinion not being there with tech. I don't think people care. Yeah, people don't care enough. But they do. They only care when it's young girls. There was just a terrible CDC report out about the impact of the mental illness with teen girls. Yeah, one in three girls is depressed and considers suicide. But- it's very clear that since the dawn of social media, it's been made worse. But aren't they doing a public service in that sense? Even if they're doing a big tech boogeyman, isn't that rising no, no, blood levels pass, and concern? No, no that's, you can't fake it your way into Well, that's just changing public sentiment, though. No, but it's, that's not how you—it's not true, not with lack of truth. It's, it's, this, mm. is, this is something we need. Big, big means not innovation. Thank you. That really should be it. We're, we're a democracy where lots of small startups should be able to compete. And so I just, it's, it's pretty basic. And I think I do agree with Ken Buck and David Cicilline on this. Yeah, I think it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure in this case, like in cigarettes or safety mm-hmm. belts, it'll be up to the courts to change some of this behavior in social media. No, it's up to Congress to pass laws. That's really where they are. But when are they going to do it, Kara? You've Never. been telling them to do it for years. I have, but unfortunately, they have not. I Everybody promises me that they'll do it, but they don't do it. So there we are. <laughs> All right, Kara, have a good interview. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with Ken Buck. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what could otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit Anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. All right, welcome, Representative Buck. Uh, It's been about a year since we talked last time. I think that's right. So we've got a lot to talk about. But before we dive into the weeds... You wanted the president to declare a national emergency and ban TikTok. Explain why you asked for this. Sure. The CCP uh, in China in particular are are clearly an adversary uh, for the United States. TikTok is one of many ways that they will gather information on Americans. Uh, Any future war, and and, uh, hopefully we never have a war with China or Russia or any of our adversaries, but if we do... Uh, it'll be fought in space and it'll be fought in cyber. Um, and the cyber warfare 
depends on gathering the kind of data that they are gathering from TikTok. So until TikTok is an American company with the data stored here in America that cannot be accessed by the, the Communist Chinese Party, then uh, it needs to be banned in the United States. I think it, before it gets banned, and it's a very popular app, and I understand that, but before it gets banned, there will be some sort of safeguard put in place that will satisfy people. But when you when you do this, do you think it's it's kind of like not saber rattling, but smartphone rattling at at the Chinese? Do you think it's effective? Uh, because you do have the popularity of the app here. It's obviously a good app. I don't have you used TikTok? I have not. <laughs> you haven't, so you don't know. It's really fun. It really is. It's well done. Um, but what's the what's the actual chances of a ban? From your perspective, I have to say a lot of people I never thought would say it are saying it. Is that in order to get them to an area where our teens can use TikTok and not us feel at risk? Yeah, I think that's the exact uh, reason for it. Now, uh, at what point does somebody blink and and, uh, we move forward? Perhaps there is a ban, and then uh, there is this change in data collection and, and uh, ownership and control, um, and then the ban comes off. Uh, but uh, hopefully it happens before there is a ban and, and people don't get service disrupted, but at the same time, we're protecting the American public. Yeah, what I think people don't realize is there's a lot of U.S. money tied up in TikTok. A lot of the big investors in TikTok are U.S. venture capitalists and others. And so that's kind of, does that create a problem? Because a lot of this could hurt. U.S. interests or, or financial interests. Yeah, I think people uh, invest money and they understand the risks. And and frankly, I think when they understand the potential harm, uh, the investors would want to act responsibly and would want this change to occur. Oh, you've never met venture capitalist uh, Representative Buck. I think they like their money. Um, so you've recently published this new book called Crushed, uh, Big Tech's War on Free Speech. I want you to describe the war in your terms. Sure. Well, I think what uh, what we have is uh, several companies who are controlling the flow of information in this country. And by controlling that flow of information, they can influence outcomes of elections and public opinion. All right. But do they? They do all the time. Sometimes they do it at the behest of the government. Uh, sometimes they are uh, trying to make sure that their version of the efficacy of masks or vaccines is not disputed, sort of in, in a public discussion. They also are, are doing it in, in other areas. I think the Hunter Biden laptop story is a good example of how they impacted um, an election. Um, and I'm not suggesting that the election was stolen. I'm not suggesting that that the uh, the, the difference would have been a, a different president in, in 2020. But I am suggesting that's, that's a power that they uh, wouldn't have otherwise had. I think they have far too much power, but the idea of this conspiracy theory is, is I, I haven't seen proof, let's just say. I, I'm looking forward to seeing proof. It's seeing proof of? Of it, them sitting in a room and making decisions like this. Let me give you an example. Last month, you said Google changed its algorithm to, quote, benefit Joe Biden and disadvantage Donald Trump. Um, I do think you're wrong because I haven't seen any evidence that they have actually done this. So how do you, how do you come to that conclusion? I come to the conclusion because I've had uh, publishers of various um, and more than one uh, conservative publication tell me that in June of 2020, um, their readership changed. And when they looked into it, they found that uh, their uh, results on Google uh, were, were much different. As you know, I think the Hunter Biden thing was a huge mistake, um, not necessarily purposely. They just did it because they were worried about um, non-consensual photos, all kinds of things. But they made a mistake and then they corrected it. But when you came on my show last year, you said, quote, I don't believe in the big lie. Um, so let's play a recording of a meeting you had with your constituents in 2021 where you said Google chose the winner and moved 15 million votes. Google, by the way, uh, uh, changed its algorithm in May of 2020 to disadvantage Donald Trump and to advantage uh, Joe Biden, changed its algorithm. And when you ask them about this, and I know people that, that own newspapers and ask them about it, um, they, they, they say, oh, well, that's just a technical thing. We don't know what the result was. We just know that, mm-hmm. that, we did, that, that a technical person did this. Nonsense. They chose the winner. They can move, the estimates are, they moved 15 million votes. I want to understand where the proof is, because instead of saying Dominion change votes, which great amount of litigation going on about that right now, you're saying Google move votes. How is that better no, no, than no, what no, the... No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that Google changed their algorithm. 
and influenced people and influenced up to 50 million people. Now, I don't, I can't look at an algorithm. I don't know if you can, but the only, only way really to prove something like that is somebody who worked on the algorithm becomes a whistleblower and steps forward and says, uh, you know, this happened. Um, but clearly, right. the anecdotal information that I get from conservative news sources is that they were treated differently in June of 2020 than they were in May of 2020, and that stayed the same for the rest of the year. Okay, but you said they chose the winner. So again, a proof is what I'm talking about. Where, when is that whistleblower coming forward, I guess? Well, I, I don't have an, uh, a whistleblower at this point in time. What I do have are conservative news sources telling me that something uh, changed. They believe it was the algorithm, and they believed uh, it influenced, um, in terms of the volume that they were receiving, it influenced um, uh, tens of millions of, of votes. These companies do have First Amendment rights to do what they want, correct? I, I would think we'd agree on that. Well, it's, a, it's another uh, uh, issue that's being litigated. And whether they have First Amendment rights or not, they are monopolies. They and they are monopolies that should have competition. So in other words, if yes. the New York Times prints a story, um, the Wall Street Journal can print uh, another version of that story, and people can uh, digest that news and make a decision. When Google changes its algorithm, it's very difficult to have that same competition. And I that's why I think- I agree with you on that. I just don't know if they actually did it. You can't convict someone of murder before someone's actually dead. You understand how to prove things. Um, you also don't agree on a news piece, right? New York Times doesn't have to- can put up anything it wants. So can the Wall Street Journal. So can well, Fox News. Well, it can't News. put up anything it wants. But no, it can no, put up, up close up, to anything libel it laws, wants. But, of course, yeah. right? Uh, but but and I think that's the point with with these monopolies is if we had five Googles, and that's what uh, there is a bipartisan effort to make sure we have competition in this area. And when you look at artificial intelligence, uh, Kara, it gets even more dangerous to have monopolies in charge of of that kind of. Uh, um, uh, market share, I guess. Yeah, I think we completely agree there. The January 6th committee had a 122-page memo that described how big tech, and now I'm going to use that term very loosely because I think all these companies are different. I don't think there's one monolith necessarily. They allowed calls for violence to spread on the platforms, but according to reporting in the Washington Post, so Lofgren, the Democratic congresswoman from California, may have helped remove the memo from the final report. Do you think that should have come out? You, you wouldn't allege that they were in cahoots with the people who, uh, the mob at, on January 6th, correct? No, I don't think they were in cahoots at all. I, yeah. I, although that's, uh, I'm not sure it's a technical legal term, but no, I don't think, <laughs> it is. I don't think they were in cahoots. You don't know that? <laughs> I, I do think from that Colorado. they- Colorado, you're from Colorado. Cahoots is a big word there, but go ahead. Um, I, I do think that uh, Parler uh, certainly suffered the consequences after January 6th. And yeah. Uh, tw people were using Twitter, people were using Facebook, and, and they, again, weren't, uh, you know, banned or taken off of, of the App Store um, as a result of that. But I, I would have been, I, I suppose I have access to it, and I will read uh, uh, that that document. But I do, I do not, it does not surprise me that Zoe Lofgren was doing her best to defend uh, the tech companies, since she represents Silicon Valley and has family ties to to some of the tech companies, let's just say she denies that she did this. Um, do you do you think that's censorship then? Do I think it's censorship? No, mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's censorship. I think I think it is an, an influence over uh, the information in the marketplace of ideas, and and I think it's dangerous, but I don't think it's censorship. Okay. So one of the things you just mentioned was Twitter. You recently retweeted Elon Musk and wrote, other online platforms must follow suit of promoting free speech values. I'm curious why, because he does throw people off at will and, and just decides probably in the late, in the middle of the night. And then his, it's, you know, it's well reported. He just decides to throw people off. Isn't that the same thing? Or do you, how do you look at what he's doing there? I, I, I by no means think that uh, Elon Musk is is the savior for uh, free speech in America, but I do think that he has uh, exposed um, some nefarious activity at Twitter before he uh, came into control that is really important for us to have uh, that information in terms of discussing uh, big tech's role in speech in America. So uh, that aspect I really ap appreciate. What nefarious things do you think? Because right now there's Again, no proof that they did anything but make stupid mistakes on all sides, and in fact, more mistakes when it came to Donald Trump, for example. Well, I think I think there were discussions and emails that were exposed that that showed that they 
um, didn't, uh, I think one of the emails said, you know, this person hasn't violated our standards, but I think the person should be taken off uh, the platform. Um, and I forget whether it was Donald Trump or, or somebody else, but- Well, he definitely, uh, I'm sorry. I know I know their rules back and forth. He definitely kept violating them, but go ahead. But they gave him allowances because he was president, but go ahead. Yeah. So I, I think that they um, they made decisions um, beyond just their, their set of- uh, uh, of standards. I found that there was no, again, proof. It, I, I saw there was proof of incompetence, that's for sure. And I saw that there was proof of people having a very difficult time doing their jobs because it was so massive. And Elon, to me, is doing the exact same thing. It just, he happens to own it and he's doing what works for him. I don't know if you use Twitter a lot, but how badly the For You algorithm works now, all I see are Elon's tweets, which I don't welcome necessarily. And he's definitely got a political agenda from what I can tell. I can't tell quite what it is on any given day, but um, is, is, this is another single person owning a single platform and doing what he feels like. Is Do you, do you equate them to Google's or the old Twitter or anything else? Well, I, I certainly equate it as dangerous, although Twitter doesn't rise to the level in terms of the scope of its platform that, that Google or uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube uh, have. But it's, it is dangerous in the sense that uh, we don't have enough competition for Twitter that people can go on Twitter and see what they are interested in mm -hmm. and then get any other sources. So I, I think it is dangerous. In some ways, I, I can't stand what he's doing, but he can do what he wants. He paid all that ridiculous amount of money for it. And so um, it's a private company. Do you ever think, well, it's not really a public square, it's a private company. I'm, I'm a little, I guess I'm a little more capitalist than you, which is shocking. But I feel like if he bought it, he can break it, and which is what he seems to be doing daily. Yeah, I, th I think it's a matter of competition. I don't want a government agency telling Facebook, uh, this is the truth, and this is not the truth, and this is what you can post, and, and you can't post this. So I, I think it's really important that the government doesn't get involved in that area, just like I don't want the government regulating newspapers or, or cable TV. But right. I, I also recognize that we have competition in newspapers, have competition in cable TV news, and we need to have competition with these other sources as they as they send information out into America. Speaking of cable TV, you've also accused DirecTV and their parent company, AT&T, of censorship for dropping conservative network Newsmax. Cable and satellite companies drop underperforming networks all the time, and this happens to be an underperforming network. And there is certainly competition in cable. So... Is that different, or can they just do that? Well, actually, their their, their viewership on DirecTV had grown over the years, um, and they had uh, because they were a right of center. There are left of center news organizations that are getting paid now. Fox News gets paid, um, and, mm -hmm. and Fox Business well. gets paid um, on on DirecTV, but there are left of center news uh, outlets that get paid. That's because Fox News is better business for them. No, 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 no. Not not similar to Fox, but similar to some of the other uh, left-of-center news outlets. DirecTV has said they want to carry the network, they just don't want to pay as much as Newsmax wants. It seems like it's a business dispute. You think it's not? I don't think it is. I, th I think if if you if Newsmax if DirecTV was trying to save money, they would look at some of the left-of-center news organizations that had less viewers um, and cut those viewers rather than uh, not give Newsmax an amount that was similar to. You believe they're being treated unfairly. I do believe they're being treated unfairly, as, yeah. as was uh, One American News. Uh, that was again a, a right-of-center news oh, organization yeah. that was kicked off by AT and T and Directv. Yeah, according to Reuters' investigation, AT&T essentially built OWN, and they provided 90% of the income brought in by OWN's parent company. I, I think they were trying to make it work. I, I've never met a capitalist who doesn't want to make money off of anything they could make. That's my thing. Is I just don't think somehow they decided to be more woke than greedy. Well, uh, I mean, look at Parler. Parler is an example of uh, folks being more woke than greedy. Uh, they, were, oh. they were kicked off by uh, Amazon Web Services. They were kicked off by uh, Apple, um, I think. Google also. I'm the took reason action. they got kicked off, so I know a lot about this. I did that interview with the CEO where he was saying things that were really beyond the pale at that moment. I do believe it was. Uh, uh, I, I agree. Facebook was much more used by the planners of that uh, that mob attack. Um, but at the same time, Parler just happened to be the lowest hanging fruit. I don't know. And, and the guy went on my podcast and said terrible things. So I don't know if that's quite as much of a plot as but, that. But, but Kara, at what point do we say that uh, terrible is okay? 
you know, the Supreme Court has said I that, agree with you. I think I, my issue wasn't so much that they kicked them off as that one person made the decision versus lots of people, that they, there wasn't an alternative for Parler to go anywhere, um, which is why I think there should be alternatives. So let's dive into that, the legislative weeds a little. Last year, you got a couple of small tech bills into the omnibus bill last year. Talk about what the bills do. Sure. Well, there, there were three bills. The The first one gave state attorney generals the ability to sue in and keep it in their home state. So oftentimes, lawsuits by state attorney generals are moved to the Northern District of yes. California, which is uh, the backyard for uh, these tech companies. Okay, what else? So uh, that, w- that was one bill. Um, uh, the second bill required disclosures if a foreign country had a large investment, a foreign country's government had a large investment in a particular uh, company that was undergoing a merger. And that was particularly aimed at China. And uh, that disclosure has to be made so that the FTC or the Department of Justice Antitrust Division can take that into account in deciding whether they want to challenge the merger or not. So that was important. Um, And the third bill was raising the filing fees for the very largest uh, companies in, involved in mergers. It actually yeah. lowers the filing fees for uh, mid-sized companies and lower or, or smaller companies, uh, raises the fees, and the additional uh, resources would go through the appropriations process, go to the Federal Trade Commission and the Antitrust right. much Commission. needed. They are much outgunned. It's hard to say that about the federal government, but they definitely are against people who have more means the tech companies. Um, Which brings me to another bill that was supposed to be in the omnibus, the Journalism and Competition Preservation Act. Uh, You told the Washington Post the bill had Kevin McCarthy's approval. A few Republican senators were against it. uh, And they got McConnell to actually kill it. Talk about that bill, because Amy Klobuchar was was behind that and tried to work in a bipartisan way to get this passed. Talk about what was in it and why were some of the Republican senators intent on getting rid of it, including Ted Cruz, who wrote the foreword to your book. I think that uh, Chuck Grassley uh, was working with uh, Senator Klobuchar on that. I yes. believe that he was supporting that bill. He was. Uh, so the, the bill basically uh, allows the smaller um, uh, news organizations to collaborate and negotiate with these large uh, monopolies. And uh, it's, it's kind of ironic to me, but the thing that, that prevents the smaller news organizations from collaborating are the antitrust laws. Yeah. So it was a waiver of antitrust laws so that they could negotiate with uh, a monopoly who uh, is clearly violating uh, the antitrust laws um, and in a way that will be decided by the courts in the future. But um, it was really an effort to try to even the negotiating position of these uh, organizations. If we look at uh, rural newspapers, for example, um, they have gone out of business uh, or been gobbled up, and, and uh, really their local news content um, has gone away um, at an astonishing rate in the last 10 years. And it's an effort to try to make sure we are protecting uh, the, the small local uh, news organizations. So why did, it, why did it die from your perspective? It's a great question. Um, I, you know, the, the uh, amount of money that these tech companies, in this case particularly uh, Facebook and Google, they're, they're the two that would have been affected the most by uh, the JCPA. Uh, they put a lot of pressure on individuals who, who came forward and said they wouldn't vote for the Omni if, if that was included. Which GOP senators did they affect? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, I am unaware of that. I just got the the news. I, I was talking to Kevin about it, um, and Kevin told me uh, McConnell has uh, come out against adding this, and so that's why it died. Do you do you think it should have passed? Were you surprised it passed in Australia, for example? There's Canada's considering something like this. Um, is this needed? Is this? I know Senator Klobuchar was sorely disappointed when it when it died. Yeah, I, I am too, and and I think that uh, it is it is necessary. The other thing that's really important about this bill, Kara, it was not uh, a bill that allowed this collaboration forever, and so um, I think we need to have hearings about it. If it needs to be refined in some way to make it uh, more palatable for uh, some of these senators, uh, we need to make that uh, change. But it, it is a bill that we should continue to discuss. We'll be back in a minute. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Travel can be stressful. I don't think that's a controversial take. Sure, we all love taking a vacation and that moment we finally get a chance to relax, but we're always so focused on the destination that the journey just feels like a means to an end. 
Well, what if it wasn't? What if the time you spent getting there was just as enjoyable as the vacation itself? That's what Virgin Atlantic believes. That's why they offer loads of special extra touches that make your trip one to remember for all the best reasons. Picture this, you've made it to the airport, checked in your bags, and finally have a moment to settle in before takeoff. If you're flying upper class, you could be putting your feet up in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse at London Heathrow with food made fresh to order and champagne delivered straight to your table with a tap of a QR code. I mean, it's rude not to, right? Once you're in the air, the experience continues with deliciously different dining, seriously comfy seats, and the best crew in the sky by miles. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip and see the world differently. Support for this show comes from the Harvard Business Review. I made a career out of taking to task some of the tech industry's biggest players. And honestly, some of these guys, and they're all guys, really had no clue what they were doing and they could probably have benefited from some of the resources available at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a top source for smart management thinkers. Cultivated by some of the greatest minds in business, the Harvard Business Review is a trove of rigorous insight and best practices. It's more than just the flagship magazine, too. You can find the same level of expertise on hbr.org, and for just $10 a month, a subscription unlocks unlimited access to a variety of resources like hundreds of articles, podcasts, newsletters, case studies, and so much more. I use HBR all the time to look up all kinds of cases, and not just in tech, and also listen to their podcasts, I look at their newsletters, and I really, 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 most of all, like the articles, which have a different perspective that I might have to give me ideas. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code CARA right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, to save 10% off your HBR subscription, go to hbr.org slash subscription and enter the promo code CARA. All right, so let's move on to the bigger bills. Chuck Schumer said he would bring them up for a vote. Never happened. Um, Again, Senator Klobuchar was involved. Senator Grassley, I think you were also involved. We recently had on Tim Wu, one of President Biden's former antitrust czars, and he said big tech basically threatened to fund ads against anyone who voted for the bills. Does that ring true to you? Yes. Do you feel that pressure? I feel the pressure, uh, and, and it's not like they come to visit me every day and talk to me. They know where I am on this issue, and, and they are, uh, but they they are constantly uh, putting uh, ads in members' districts, talking about you know call Joe Schmo or uh, and, and tell him uh, don't vote for this bill because it it will uh, you know Amazon uh, talks about how Prime will go away. Uh, right. uh, Facebook talks about, well, we'll, in fact, for the JCPA, I think they made a public announcement that uh, they just wouldn't have news on their... Uh, they uh, tried if, that if, in Australia. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll just drop news. Um, all, all all nonsense. They, they they came around in Australia pretty quickly to um, a an agreement um, that, that helped, and I think it would happen in this case. Can you explain how that constrains Congress members if they, they fear those ads, correct? I mean, there were it's they're really quite something to watch them happen. Senator Klobuchar told me that many of the Congress members that wanted to do it then came to her and said, sorry, no, no can do. I, I won't mention a name because it was a private conversation, but I'll tell you uh, a, a conversation I had on the House floor with a, a Democrat member who has a large Amazon presence in her district. Um, and she won with 86% of the vote in spite of Amazon uh, telling its its employees about how terrible she was on these tech bills and running commercials. Um, 86% of the vote is almost unheard of in, in American politics. Um, but the Amazon employees evidently didn't feel very strongly about what Amazon was doing um, and and saw this as a uh, an opportunity. The other funny story is that Amazon went out and told all of its third-party sellers, um, you've got to put pressure on Congress and you've got to oppose these bills. And then they developed a list of these third-party sellers that were opposing the bills, and they actually weren't opposing the bills. So they can run ads in my district. Mm-hmm. Um, my People are so afraid of big tech. They're not afraid of Ken Buck, and they're not afraid of my poor judgment. They're afraid of big tech and, and what big tech is doing in this country. And I think that's true in many districts around the country. This unnamed congresswoman won with 86% in spite of Amazon's ad because Amazon didn't carry water with its own employees or these third-party sellers. Why are Congress members so afraid of this? 
I'm not sure that, that the House is as much as the Senate. Um, it, there is an old saying that every senator looks in the mirror and sees a president. They and do. And nobody wants to run for president with four of the largest companies in the history of the world um, and the amount of money that they spend uh, being able to influence a, a presidential election. So you you think that, that it's, it has much more effect on senators. Do you think that the effect is real? Oh, yeah. I think the effect is real. I think the JCPA discussion during the National Defense Authorization Act is is one example of it being real. Um, but I, I, I do think that there are a number of senators. You mentioned uh, Senator Cruz. He is supporting a number of the antitrust bills uh, with Tried Senator Cruz. He, he was he pushed on the on the journalism one. But go ahead. He's no, that's it. right. Um, he he was opposed to that, but uh, he has also supported a number of bills. Senator uh, Blackburn from Tennessee is the prime sponsor of of a bill uh, that would impact uh, Apple, for example, in their um, app store in in the marketplace. And so uh, there are a number of uh, Republican senators who are. Um, in favor of some of these uh, antitrust bills. Senator Lee probably has, I I think, the most important bill out there with Senator Klobuchar, and that is uh, Google controls the buy side of digital advertising, the sell side, and bought the auction house, uh, ad tech. I hear there's a Justice Department case, but go ahead. Yeah, there is. The the law uh, should change. Uh, and, And I feel really strongly about this, Kara, and that is that Article 1 says that the, the Congress should uh, make laws, um, and we should be dealing with the tough decisions. Many times, members of Congress don't want to make tough decisions because you can get attacked for tough decisions. Uh, we should make the tough decisions. We should uh, do what's necessary to create competition, um, and the courts should then follow the law as opposed to the courts making the law in this area. Why does nothing get done? I've asked this question of many, many politicians. Why do you think this doesn't get done? Well, uh, we had the support on uh, on the floor of the House. We had the support on the floor of the Senate. Uh, the leadership in the House and the leadership in the Senate would not bring those bills up. And, and that's, that is the cause of it. Clearly, Senator Klobuchar and Senator Grassley would have passed seven or eight bills if they had had the opportunity to do that. And the same in the House. When the, when the three bills came up for a vote in the House, we had a, a very comfortable margin for supporting those bills. And I think uh, in other bills, we would have had an even larger margin. But uh, the, the leadership uh, would not bring them up. What would it actually take to pass these bills? Well, uh, the leader in the Senate and leader in the House have to put it on the floor. And, and uh, I think we have the votes in both chambers to get it done. Um, but what really has to happen is the American people have to understand that this threat that they perceive from big tech they need to act on that threat. They need to contact their senators. They need to contact their, their member of, of, of Congress. And they need to make sure that the big tech money is offset by the popularity of getting something done in this area. I think that's the ultimate uh, weapon that uh, those who believe in competition and believe in uh, the, uh, the the marketplace of ideas and how to make sure that more speech is is incorporated in that marketplace uh, ultimately, uh, it rests with the people. So does Kevin McCarthy have your back when it comes to fighting big tech? Um, you lost leadership position on the House Judiciary Committee to Thomas Massey, I, who is, I would say, is not as interested in passing antitrust legislation as you. What was that message leadership was sending here? Well, uh, Kevin McCarthy supported the JCPA and the uh, the omnibus, and I, I think that he would support certain uh, legislation. Um, he is from California, and I'm not sure he's going to support all legislation. Uh, he also has a lot of pressure, the same pressure that Speaker Pelosi had on on her uh, not to put things on the floor. So we'll we'll see what what develops this year. But it's a little ironic that that President uh, Biden is talking about we need to make sure that we deal with big tech in this uh, next uh, Congress. Um, his voice could have been a lot louder in the last Congress when we had the uh, majorities and we we passed six bills out of the House Judiciary Committee. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I can't believe it didn't pass. What about the um, the recently more powerful personalities like Marjorie Taylor Greene, an active user of Twitter, uh, Lauren Boebert, also an active user, Matt Gates. How did they have an influence here? Jim Jordan, for example. Yeah, Matt Gates is very much in in favor of these bills, and Jim Jordan is very much opposed to these bills. So uh, there is a uh, within the Republican Party there there is a clear uh, um, 
difference of opinion, I guess, is the polite way of putting it in, in terms of how, how folks see these bills moving forward. There are enough members um, uh, to move bills forward with a, uh, a larger majority of the, of the Democrats. The only Democrats that I really see against these bills are uh, folks from uh, California, Democrats from California, and one or two from other locations. But for the most part, uh, these bills are very uh, popular in the Democrat Party. Do you try to um, to convince someone like Lauren Boebert? She's in your state. Yeah, I thought I had uh, Lauren's vote on the on the last package of bills, um, and uh, was surprised that she didn't vote. We've we've talked about it a, a little bit. Um, I think there's a chance that that Lauren Boebert and Marjorie and and some others would vote for uh, antitrust bills down the road. Are you trying to convince them? What's the problem oh. to convince them? I've sat down with more than 80 Republican members um, and and spent an hour, hour and a half with them going through the bills, talking about the threat from big tech. And and that's really uh, my job is is to try to build a coalition within the Republican Party in Congress. And what is their biggest objection when you what's the wall you face? Well, uh, it, it's hard to uh, really put in words. I think what they're uh, what they will voice is that the market will take care of itself. And so, if you look at Instagram, uh, TikTok has risen to challenge Instagram, and there's a belief that um, you know maybe with artificial intelligence um, and and the the role that Microsoft is playing, that that Bing will rise to challenge Google, and it's better to let the marketplace do that than it is to uh, pass legislation that will. Uh, restrict some of these companies' ability to merge or, or yeah. to, uh, to to discriminate against other companies. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I know that market argument. I hear it from the tech people all the time. And I'm always like, well, Microsoft, which is an enormous, one of the most valuable companies in the world, is challenging them. Is he's, they, are they the upstart? Is that the real <laughs> upstart we want? I just am sort of like, so in AI, it's now Google, Amazon. It's the same group of people fighting each other versus a new a new entrant. So let's talk about uh, legislation to lawsuits. Right now, it is in the courts is where this is being fought out. So let's do a quick lightning round. You used to uh, be a prosecutor, so I want your take on how prosecutors are approaching each case. The DOJ's lawsuit against Google's ad tech business, what do you make of uh, Jonathan Cantor's filing? Yeah, I, I, I think it has a lot of promise. I think it is absolutely a monopoly. Um, and how, what do you think the chances of it are of, of winning, if you well, want to look at it? Uh, in a decade? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in a decade. That's the yeah, problem that's the with problem. these cases. The, the discovery yeah. takes five years, and then there's a yeah. couple years, you get a decision, it, it goes up the appellate chain. Um, yep. uh, by that time, the world has dramatically changed. That's why it's so much more important from my perspective to pass laws Agreed. than it is to bring cases. But um, I think that uh, the Department of Justice has a very good opportunity to win that particular case. Okay. FTC's potential lawsuit against Amazon. It looks like Lena Khan might file suit in the coming months. Do you want her to? Well, I'm not sure what the lawsuit involves, um, but if it is discrimination regarding the third-party sellers, um, I think that is an anti-competitive act that would be looked upon favorably for action by a court. Okay. The FTC also does have a lawsuit to break up Facebook. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, They had trouble defining what Facebook was and and had to... uh, refile that. So I'm not sure exactly how they would break up uh, Facebook. And I'm not in favor of breaking up Facebook as much as I am in, in, in favor of having competition for Facebook. Okay. What about Apple? There's no lawsuit in the U.S. yet. But this month, the White House said they agree with Elon Musk and many others, uh, base camp and others, the App Store's 30% commission is bad for competition. Well, the 30% commission for uh, a company like Spotify, because uh, Apple has Apple Music, is is clearly a way of trying to benefit their own product on a platform. If the platform wasn't a monopoly platform, I, I wouldn't have a problem. In other words, a grocery store can say, we're going to put our uh, grape jelly at eye level, and we're going to put some competitors uh, you know, down lower so that people buy our grape jelly. Well, there's there's... 30, 40 different kinds of, of uh, grocery stores out there. I don't have a problem with that kind of platform mm-hmm. uh, discriminating. I do have a problem with the two phone companies uh, discriminating, and, and much more so uh, by Apple than, than Android. So last question there. When it comes to competition, which of the big tech companies are, are is the least problematic? What is the most from your perspective? Yeah, the, the most is clearly Google. Um, it, not only the search engine, but the other activities it engages in, particularly that ad uh, the digital ad uh, area, I think, is is the most uh, dangerous. Uh, I think Facebook is actually losing um, uh, market share, and uh, it's it's a uh, now it's still a huge company. I'm not suggesting that Facebook's going yeah, yeah. away anytime soon. 
soon. But yeah, it's um, this metaverse you know, thing. They keep wandering down Metaverse Alley, and it's causing some problems, taking their eye yeah, off the ball. I, I think Twitter is probably the, you know, Twitter and Facebook uh, are are less uh, problematic than than Google. And Amazon. Where's Amazon? Yeah, Amazon and Apple are, are sort of in the middle there. I, I think they're both. Uh, and, and again, it, it wouldn't take much to to uh, solve that problem. The the non discrimination bill clearly talked about um, you've got a monopoly platform. As long as you treat these mm-hmm. other products fairly, uh, that's that's what we're asking for. All right, I've, I've got just a couple more questions about politics, and then I'll let you go. But the upcoming debt ceiling standoff, you said the threat of default is overstated. How so? Well, I don't think we we'll get there. You know, every time we talk about uh, a deal on on the debt ceiling, uh, we we resolve the deal, and so I, I think it's overstated. It is, uh, uh, you know, the sky is falling. We we uh, we just need a clean debt ceiling. Um, what we need to do is to make sure that we don't go off the edge, uh, uh, spending wise, and and that's what I'm concerned about. I, obviously, we'll uh, make sure that we are supporting uh, paying our financial uh, obligations. But how do we, in the meantime, not continue to rack up the national debt? Republicans want more military spending. Democrats want more social spending. We both have to grow up and realize that uh, and until we produce more revenue in this country with a stronger economy, we can't keep spending at the rate that we are. All right. You flew to D.C. after a medical procedure to make sure Kevin McCarthy was elected as speaker. It was very dramatic when I heard your name called. John Boehner and Paul Ryan had much larger majorities, and they had a very hard time wrangling the conference. There's been recent stories he's having a hard time wrangling the conference. What's been your advice to McCarthy? Yeah, I I think that... uh you know, Republicans are a different breed. We don't fall in line. We argue. And and I think that uh, if Kevin uh, leads a, a, a genuine path, um, he is going to get a lot of people that are going to follow him. And, and I think that uh, understanding that the Democrats have control of the Senate and the White House, there's not a whole lot uh, we can do without uh, working in a bipartisan way, as we have with the big tech bills. And, and I think uh, we can with many other areas. But the messaging bills are great, um, and then they go away. Uh, the, yeah. the, the idea that we're going to do uh, some of this oversight work and uh, really uh, raise this um, tension um, between the parties and between the, the branches of government, uh, we, we're not going to get a whole lot of big things done if, no. if that's our focus. By the way, it was Republicans fall in line, Democrats fall in love, just so you know. It's really fascinating to watch Republicans not fall in line, because I've always experienced them as being much more better behaved than Democrats. Um, One last question. You recently were overheard in a congressional elevator saying that kicking Ilan Omar off the Foreign Affairs Committee was, quote, in this vein, the stupidest vote in the world. Please elaborate. You were performance art to you? One of the one of my fellow um, Republicans uh, agreed with me, and and he's one of those folks that you would never imagine uh, one being overheard in an elevator and two uh, agreeing on something like that. But I think it just it just sat wrong with a lot of members. Kicking Marjorie Taylor Greene off committees we didn't believe was right. Kicking Paul Gosar off committees we didn't believe was right. And so the the idea that somehow we're going to seek revenge and kick. Uh, Ilan Omar off uh, didn't sit right with me either. And so I went to uh, Kevin and I said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to vote for this. And uh, after a number of discussions, uh, he said, um, I will give you and, and a couple of other Republicans who aren't going to vote for this uh, the opportunity to work with Democrats, change the rules so this doesn't happen in the future. And I ended up voting for it uh, with that understanding that this wouldn't continue uh, down the road. So last question, if you're thinking about that, if they're spending a lot of time doing this, what is the chance of an antitrust bill in this Congress? I, I think it depends on the bill, but I think we will get one or two bills passed in this Congress. Um, harder to do in the House now than in the Senate. Um, I think it was easier to do in the House the last Congress. Uh, but I do think we will get a, a couple of antitrust bills passed in this Congress. All right. Uh, Congressman Buck, thank you so much. I really appreciate it so much. Thank you, Kara. It's good to be with you. Why does so much happen in the elevator of this of I the know. Congress? Why do they talk in the elevators? What don't they understand? Everybody's listening. I, when I was a, I was a page, uh, whatever. I worked for a, a senator in Congress. I listened to everybody. When? 
when I was in college, my freshman year, Senator S.I. Hayakawa, Republican. I think I've said this too. You have. I listened to everything. I was like always sneaking around and listening. The Senate elevators where Jeff Flake got caught during the Kavanaugh hearing. Yeah. And uh, you have to get out of the elevators, you know, when they when there's a vote. You take to... the stairs, Congress people, take the stairs. I don't think he minded getting overheard, honestly. He was thrilled yeah. to get overheard. He's a maverick type of person, just like a lot of Colorado Congress people. Meaning you don't know which way they're going to go. Yeah, I just like that. I like that. I mean, I think he's, the stuff around Google was ridiculous. But I think he, directionally, he's correct. These people have too much power. And that's when we got to that, there's where you find common ground. It's like, this is like, look, we could argue about what's actually happening. And I'm someone who prefers actual proof. I was just flabbergasted that the only source he had for his kind of big claims around Google were conservative news publications. Yes. To make it into, a, to jump it into a conspiracy is just, uh, you know, just like with me now on Twitter. I mean, I think they are suppressing it. I don't have any proof, but, you know, he could do it. That's how I feel if he wants to suppress Ken Buck to me is a little bit of a puzzle, a little enigmatic, because I find him reasonable. And then he says something about, yeah, you know, Google and the 15 million votes or something. And, and it's the whole idea, I mean, this whole idea that, oh, competition and free speech is going to take care of itself and people will just, you know, you can say anything and the truth will win. Um, there is just, a, listen, the fact that we can argue about it means a yes. lot. You can't argue about it in China, right? That's hardly the standard. I know that. Of course not. But I'm just saying we do get to, people do get to make decisions on what they want to do. And I think the, the, the problem is all these conspiracy theorists are ridiculous uh, on some level. You're around the age of the kind of broadcast channels, right? Mm-hmm. Of you know, Walter Cronkite, et cetera, yeah, right? you got to pick. Yeah, you got to pick, but they but there wasn't misinformation that was rampantly floating around. Well, on- I don't know. How were the stories told? Let me just say, it was, you know, 26 white men on the Upper East Side of New York. Is that what we want? No, there was not a woman to be found. There wasn't a person of color on those. I was in those meetings. I was as a aide or whatever. I'm just saying, the more, the more, the more voices, the better. That said, the power is the problem. That's where we com- we, we agree completely. The two men, yeah. there should be 10 Elon Musk, there should be 10 Googles, that kind of thing. Yeah, that I agree. Is- I think a proliferation of competition, regulation of companies that have gotten too big and too, and relics that are prohibiting the competition or buying them out or squashing mm-hmm. them, that I think is great. Are you more hopeful or less hopeful about legislation passing after that conversation. I don't know if they can do it. I would agree with them. I think the leadership didn't press it. I blame Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, honestly. Mm -hmm. If you recall, uh, Klobuchar on stage at Code basically said, Kara, I promise this will pass. (laughs) Oh, it didn't pass. I you know what, that. Kara? Never believe a promise from a politician. <laughs> I know, but she believed That's it. She advice. actually believed it. She believed it. <laughs> she did. And she's not an earnest one, but she said that very earnestly. And I said, no, they're going to get you, Senator Klobuchar. <laughs> they got her. The tech boogeyman who will not be called big tech. Anyways, Carol, will you read us out for today? Yes. Today's show was produced by Naeem Araza, Blakeney Schick, Christian Castro-Rosell, Rafaela Seward. Special thanks to Haley Milliken. Rick Kwan engineered this episode, and our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you get a copy of Congressman Buck's book, Crushed. What a great name. If not, you only get the Ted Cruz forward, which is sad. 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 Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. In any case, thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Monday with more.